good to get to be back with you guys and uh, talk to you from the Word of God. I, I'm just going to back this up so I make sure I have like a little bit of room um, to work with. So I said in the first service, there's some faces I, I don't know and some faces I see that I'm like, man, I've missed those faces for a long time. And you don't really realize it until you're standing here how much you miss people, you know, that you've been in church life with for six, seven uh, years. So it's good to get to come back and serve you uh, with the word. And uh, let me just pray before we look at Romans 12. We're going to do Romans 12, verses 9, all the way to verse 16. So let's pray. God, we, Lord, acknowledge, Father, that these are times where we're not sure uh, in every moment what is going to happen next. But we know, Lord, from your word that you are the stability of our times. And so, Father, we, we rest in the fact that right now our voices, our hearts are being lifted up to you. And, Lord, that you are listening, that you are uh, answering, that you are helping already in ways that we will see uh, over time and in the years to come. God, we thank you that your word has been given to us. I pray that we would have a heart that believes uh, there's something there for us every time it's opened, no matter who is opening it. Lord, we pray for your grace and your spirit who is alive and with us to attend to the word in power. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know that we are able to walk in the things that your word says because you give us the power to do it, Lord. And so I pray that our hearts, our minds would be open and ready and willing to hear from you and to walk in what you have for us. Please help me as I seek to serve and love some people, again, who I know well and some who I don't know well, but who, Lord God, I have Jesus in common with by serving them in the preaching of the word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen? All right. Just make sure you're, you're with me. We're going to talk today. It's good to talk. So the title of our message is, Let Love Be Genuine. Let love be genuine. Here's the main thing I want you to remember from our message. If you remember one thing, this is the thing. God wants us to love each other genuinely because we're family. So let me say it again. God wants us to love each other genuinely because we are God wants us to love each other genuinely because we are family. We are family. And that's the thing I want us to see. Look at verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Like Mary J. Blige, Paul is like, I want real love. I want the love that the believers have to be genuine and real, a love that hates evil, a love that holds fast to what is good, a, a sincere love, not a fake love. See, Paul calls for genuine love because fake love is very real. He asks for genuine love because fake love is real. I'll give you an example, Judas and Jesus. How does Judas betray Jesus? He betrays him with a kiss, fake love. And so he asks for genuine love. See, when it comes to love in the church, we cannot fake it till we make it. That's not an option. It's got to be real 
and genuine. So what I want to do is I want to show us a few things about the person who practices genuine love. Here's the first one. They live a life of affection, respect, and service. Affection, respect, and service. Verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This phrase, love one another, could be translated, be devoted to one another. It's talking about this deep commitment. See, in the church, we commit to each other. And, and when things get tough, we are not looking for the nearest exit. We look at each other and we're like, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to this relationship. I am in. And so we, we have this warm, friendly affectionate feeling towards one another. We relate to each other the way a parent relates to a new child. And again, this, this text, what it does is giving us the right way to think about the church. There's a lot of wrong ways that we think about the church. There's a lot of things that we can complain about with church, but the text reminds us this is your family. When you are saved, the Bible says that you become a children of God, brought into the family of God to spend eternity with God. That's how it goes. Saved child of God, into the family of God, looking to spend eternity with God. And so we get this opportunity to practice the love now, to put it into action because we're going to a place of love. That's all we're going to do is spend eternity loving each other and being loved by our God. So why don't we just get busy now and do it? Love each other. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. When someone in the church does something great, we acknowledge it. We give people the respect they deserve for the hard work that they've put in. My Jamaican uncle, his name, we, his name's Howard, but we call him Uncle Speedy. I don't know why. I think it's because he runs fast. But he says, we big each other up. That's what we do. We promote one another. We don't promote ourselves. This genuine love. And it, it takes work. It shows when we love each other this way that our, our love is real. That rivalry actually isn't in, embedded into our lives. I shared this in the first service. I'll share it again. I, I sometimes find myself on the internet. I don't have social media. But every now and then, I, I, I stumble on something going on in another church, and I look at what God is doing for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and you know what goes on in me? I'm like, why isn't he doing that for me? Why isn't he doing that thing for our church? Why is our church still waiting for God to provide somewhere for us? Why, like, what, what's going on? And you know what God does? He's like, Marv, what you're doing right now is sin. There's a loving gentle conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to say you are looking over there and what you're doing is you're envying. You cannot celebrate the thing that I'm doing in that church, in those people, in the family because you think life is all about you, that you think this is your story, but you're in my story. And you need to look and every time you drift into, into envy and rivalry, what we're really saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. That you need to get on my program. I, need, I don't need to get on yours. That, that your, my plan is better than your plan. And God says, no, celebrate. 
promote, be excited for what is going on somewhere else because it shows that you are really a, a person who loves the other family members. And you're happy to see them move forward. You're happy to see a good thing happening for them and that you trust me with your life. That is what is going on. It shows our love is real and that there's no rivalry. And in verse 11 he says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. Serving God can be hard. Our passion for serving God can start to get weak. It can start to wane a little bit. But we are to push through. We are to not allow that to happen. Now, you're like, okay, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I make sure that this passion that I'm supposed to have, it doesn't just sort of dwindle down to nothing? Well, the answer is in the text. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be, here's the answer, fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to set us on fire. That's how we do it. We, make, we, we come to the Lord in prayer and we say, fill me again for the task that you've put in front of me. Fill me again to love and serve the people who are in the family. I cannot do it on my own and so I'm asking you to fill me. And let the Spirit just set you on fire, give you the wind in your sails to do the work of God. And when we do this, when we love God and serve God, you know what happens? Our brothers and sisters benefit. They benefit from our efforts. They benefit from the Spirit working in us. We even benefit because we grow through it as we serve one another. Then verse 12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. The person who practices genuine love lives a life of hope, patience, and prayer. Hope, patience, and prayer. He says, rejoice in hope. Now the concept of hope in the Bible is different than how we think and talk about hope. Nowadays, we hope for things that we're not sure that it's going to happen. You know that? Think about it. Sometimes you're, you're driving to the, to the mall and you hope you get a parking spot. You are going camping and you hope to not be mauled by a bear. I said this in the first service. I will say this again. The fact that you can get mauled by a bear while camping is why you shouldn't go camping. But that is a very real, we hope the person we ask to marry us or ask out, that they say yes. We hope that there won't be any more lockdowns. We hope things won't get worse. We hope, but we don't know. We hope for things. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about something totally different. It's talking about hoping in the sure, perfect, righteous promises of God that are guaranteed to come True, that you are resting in something that is guaranteed to happen. And I want to just review for us some of the promises of God. Just so we can rejoice in our soul about what our reality is because we're in Christ. This guarantee that God is going to finish his work in us. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That is a promise. That you look at your life and you're thinking, I'm not changing all that much. That's not true. 
You might feel like you are sort of right here when it all started, but trust me, God is working in you, and it's going to come to completion. God is not like us. We pick up a book, and it's 10 chapters. We get to chapter 2, and we're like, I'm bored. He starts something, and he finishes it. The work in you is going on, the sanctifying work, and you, we will experience glorification where we're made like Jesus Christ. The work is going to get done. His promise to make all things new. It won't always be like this. It won't always be church and masks. It won't always be social distancing. It won't always be strife. It won't always be politics. Who would you vote for? Should you vote for that person? Should we? It won't always be like that. Our, we will be with our king, everything settled. Righteousness and peace and love all the time. Amen? That is what we are headed towards. You read Genesis all the way to Revelation. It just tells us God is restoring what is broken and all will be made new. And then this promise to bring us into full fellowship with him. Access all the time to the Father. Eternity with God. All things made right. Full fellowship with the saints. I know some of us, we've, we've probably lost believers in our family. Well, there's a reality coming that we will be together again with those people. I think often about my grandma, who really was one of the, the sort of the first person that showed me the love of Jesus in her behavior. She had cancer, and she never told the kids. Because she was just like, I don't want them to worry. And we didn't know that she had it until the end. And, but she put her faith in Jesus Christ, and it was the first time I saw just a real expression of somebody struggling and considering somebody more than themselves in my life. And I can't wait to see my grandma. To be with her. Think about some of the people in the Bible. Isn't there people in the Bible you want to talk to? Ruth. What was it like? Gleaning in the fields. Working hard. For a, for a mother-in-law who was at home in despair. Who, who had lost all hope. What was that like? Mary. What was it like to raise Jesus? To, to be told your whole life is going to be changed. That you had this plan. And now this is the plan. And you've got to go with it. But, and you surrendered. What was that like? Job. What was it like to learn all of your kids are gone? How did you get to that spot where you say, even if you slay me, I will worship. Job, how would you do that? Don't you want to talk to Jesus? I have lots of questions for Jesus. There's so many things about Jesus that we don't know. And yet we will spend eternity with him just to, I'm cutting the line to get to Jesus. Just to talk to him and spend time with him. This, these are the realities. And when times are hard, when there's trouble, when there's tribulation, what we do is we remind our soul of these promises. That these are our realities. When somebody in the family is struggling and suffering, this is what we say to one another. So that we can rejoice in hope. Because these things remind us that we are never hopeless. That there's never a moment where despair makes any sense for the Christian. 
Because yes, life is tough. Yes, it's hard. And honestly, it's not as hard here as it is some other places, to be honest. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it is tough. But we hold on to these things, these promises, because it helps us to rejoice in hope. It helps us, verse 12 says, to be patient in tribulation. It helps us to be constant in prayer, verse 12 says. The, our ability to rejoice depends on the amount that we pray. It depends. So many times I've been just exposed by God. Like, you just, you just, you don't pray. You talk about it. But there's this convincing myself that I can just sort of muscle through, that I'm feeling I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling like nothing's ever going to get right. And God's like, yeah, you're not talking to me about it, though. Prayer gets us through. Now, being constant in prayer doesn't mean you walk around praying all the time. It means that you're always ready to pray. It means a readiness to pray. When, some, when I feel overwhelmed, I pray. When somebody's talking to me and they're confused, we pray. Pray, I'm just ready. That's my go-to. Like Allen Iverson's crossover, like Michael Jackson's moonwalk. This is what we do. It's our go-to move. It's like breathing for us. See, here's what prayer does. Prayer reminds us that our Father helps. And all God's people said? Let me try that again. Prayer reminds us that our Father helps. Oh, boy. Prayer reminds us that our Father helps. Prayer reminds us that our hope is certain. Prayer reminds us that our troubles will end. Lift your voice. This is our reality. And we need to hold on to these things. And we need to not be afraid to talk in church. It, we're a family. We're kicking it together. This is a good thing. And it's my man. <laughs> These are our realities in Christ. Our Father is awake. He's not sleepy. He's at the ready. He is willing. When we fall on our face to give us the wisdom we need for the trials we face. To walk this life, verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The person who practices genuine love lives a life of blessing, empathy, and humility. Verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. That means when somebody in the family is struggling, we help them out. When there's a need that arises, we do our thing to help them. If they need food, we give. If they need clothing, we give. If they need a place to stay, we give. And the early church, they got this. Acts chapter 2 says, all who, who believed were together. There's this unity, this family feel. And they had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings. Why? And distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They saw a need and they did what was necessary to meet that need. Being a person who practices and lives a life of genuine love means I'm willing to give so somebody else can have. That is how we behave. We meet needs in front of us. We are blessed by God and, that, and then we turn around and we be a blessing to others. And if we have the ability to help and we don't, that's, that's, that's just not very good. It may say something about you. First John says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, family, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him or her? The question has to be asked. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, fake love. Let's not do that. But in deed and truth. See, if you see somebody in the family and they have a need and you just ignore it and ignore it and ignore it over time, over time, over time, over time, it might mean you're not actually in the family. It might actually mean you are not a Christian. It might show that you don't understand that somebody gave so that you can have. That Jesus gave his life so that you could have life. And if that hasn't touched your soul so that you could turn around and do a kind act for somebody else, then you have to ask yourself the question, am I actually a Christian? Has anything taken place in my heart and and my life. It's a question that has to be asked. And then he says, seek to show hospitality. Hospitality takes intentionality. That the word seek tells us that. See, in Paul's culture, hospitality is really, was really important. Because they didn't have hotels, they didn't have Airbnb. So when a Christian came to town... They were actually dependent, hoping that another Christian would open their doors to them. And so hospitality takes thoughtfulness and generosity. Richie Perez, in his book, says, we should show hospitality to one another as sisters and brothers in the faith community. God calls us to share with one another generously and to welcome other people into our lives. Why? Hospitality deepens Christian community. When God is thinking of hospitality, the first person he has in mind is not your friend or, or with the people who you are familiar. So it's not the person who's like, it's easy to hang out with this person. I'm already at this spot with them relationally. He's thinking of the stranger, the person with whom we are not familiar. It's about loving strangers in the same way we love siblings. It's this looking over and saying, you are in the family. I don't know you that well. And so I'm actually inviting you in, into my life. When we're hospitable, we're actually showing that we believe that we're family. And it takes work. And when we do it, we're actually on the way to that family vibe. Like in, in moments of hospitality, we share stories. We learn things about one another. Like, I didn't know that about you. It's like, yeah, we never talked. It's been like six years. But we get to know one another. And yes, 
It's, un- it's awkward at first. It's uncomfortable. But as we push through, it gets easier. Now, I know you're kind of like, you know, hey, you know, we love Pastor Ted. He asked Marv to come talk. But, you know, is Marv like, is he awake? Is he aware of what's going on in the news? He's, does he know about this thing called COVID, coronavirus, or as my one boy Eiffel calls it, the sickness? Is he aware of what's going on? He's up here talking about bringing people into your home, bringing people into your lives. We're not even allowed to get near one another. Now, here's the thing. Just because things are tough does not mean we ignore what the Bible calls for. Just because things are complicated and a little bit tricky, we're trying to figure out how to live life here, doesn't mean that we say, you know what, let's just like set that one aside because of what is in front of us. No, things are tricky, what do we do? We pray and we ask for the Spirit's help. We pray and we ask the Spirit to give us wisdom to learn how to be creative. How do we do this now? Because because I know more than ever, we need each other. More than ever, we need that deep community. More than ever, we need to push through the barrier of awkwardness and not fully sort of knowing how to do it so that we get that deep community so that as we have to continue to hold on for God to make things right or get us through the time that we're in, we have one another. So we pray and we ask, how can I be creative and do this? even in the times that we are living in. And then verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now you're like, how do you do that? How do I bless somebody who hates me? How do I bless somebody who hates the faith? How do I bless somebody whose whole aim is to make my life hard? How do I bless somebody who thinks that I'm intellectually weak because I believe what the Bible says? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Luke 6, he says, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Here's the answer. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Matthew 5. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Prayer is an act of love. Prayer is the way that we bless those who hate the faith, those who make our life hard as we pray for God to save them, as we pray for God to forgive them, to open their eyes to the reality of what he is doing, to open their eyes to come back to reality. That is how we bless them, as we pray for God to give us compassion towards them. To not respond with the same level of hatred that they respond with towards us. To be compassionate, to be gracious. Prayer is an attempt to turn enemies into family. As we ask God to save them and bring them in and to restore them in ways that they don't even realize they need. In ways that we, we realize is going on in us. Verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This verse always makes me think of Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 just gives you this picture that life is, is hard. That life has ups and that life has 
downs, that we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that there are moments where people are rejoicing, that there are moments where life is great, everything is going great, everything's smooth. They're on the mountaintop. And when that is happening, the Bible says you are to be up there with them, celebrating. Again, why? To protect our heart from envy, to protect ourselves that way. But the Bible also says when they're in the valley, that you are to be right there with them, weeping. Think again about Jesus. He shows up, and Mary and Martha are having a hard day. The reality of living in a world that is broken by sin has come upon them. And there's a, there's a family member who has lost their life and they're weeping. And she looks and she says, if you were here, he, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus doesn't, you know, sort of uh, start walking her through some like deep theological treaties. I think that's the word. He just weeps. That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. You are in a tough spot. I'm, I'm going right down there with you. If you want to talk later, we will talk. But right now, you're crying, you're weeping, you're having a hard time. And so that is what I'm doing with you because I know that when somebody in the, in the family is struggling, I'm struggling too. When somebody in the family is having a hard moment, we're all having a hard moment. And so he weeps. One of the best things that you can do for people when they're in a hard time is not throw cliches at them is simply weep with them. Weep and pray together, following Jesus in the way that he does it. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This phrase, live in harmony, to be translated, think the same thing towards one another. It's a command to have a common mindset, to actually think the right way about a specific thing. And that specific thing that we are to think the right way about is pride. It's to think the right way about pride. That's why he says, do not be haughty. The CSB translates this, do not be proud. Just very clear. Don't be proud. Look back at verse 3. Because this is something that can happen. We can get to the spot. If you're sitting there, you're thinking like, mm, I probably can't. We can. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We are constantly tempted to think that we're the best thing since sliced bread. That is a temptation that is always in front of us. And the word of God says, no. Think about yourself in the right ways. Again, pride does something to us. Here's the, it does a couple things. It makes us think that certain people are beneath us. That certain people are beneath us because of their ethnicity, because of their social status, because of their economic status, because of their physical challenges. It does something to us. And this kind of thinking is, I'm just going to say it very plain, demonic. It's a satanic way of thinking because you're looking at an image bearer, somebody made in the image of God, and you're saying, they're less than me. It's a dark, evil way to think, and and God says, that has 
no place in the church. It's satanic, it's evil, and it destroys unity. It destroys harmony. It makes it difficult for us to live in harmony with one another. Pride does that to us. Here's the reality. We're all different. So, and we shouldn't pretend like that's not the case. We are different. But we're all in this family together. And in those differences, we have a really great opportunity. Listen to Mark Dever on this. He says, the gospel gives us a personal relationship with God. But according to scripture, that relationship with God includes meaningful relationships with his people. Our relationships are supposed to be deep and meaningful, not superficial. When we come to Christ, he folds us into a family. A family with actual flesh and blood, step on your toes, people. We are going to offend each other. We are going to step on each other's toes. That's just a reality. So you better just like check that. I got, okay. That is going to happen. When we receive God's mercy, we become part of a people. When we receive God's grace, we're included in a covenant community. Reconcile to God, reconcile to his people. So our relationship with God has been restored, and our relationship with each other has been restored. What truly displays the gospel is when we commit to love and care for a group of people that includes folks who are utterly unlike us. I said this in the first service. I'll say it again. That guy right there in that polka dot shirt, that's a nice shirt, by the way, brother, uh, is one of my best friends, Pastor Chris Shipley. And every time I hang out with Chris, you want to know one of the clearest things I know? We are not the same. He grew up on a dairy farm in London in an area that I didn't even know existed until I met him. Milking cows. Strange, right? I grew up in community housing wondering if we were going to have the lights sometimes. Wondering if the police were going to leave eventually. And every time I hang out with Chris, I realize I need him and he needs me. Our differences are good because he opens his mouth about the word and it helps me because I'm like, I didn't look at it like that. He op- I open my mouth and he's like, I didn't see it that way. And we constantly help one another. And sometimes he says things, I'm like, I don't understand that joke. And I say things, he's like, what is that? He's like, you just, you just fell into your, your patois there. Can you translate? But as we walk together with Jesus, we, we are helping each other grow. We are, we are growing in our appreciation for Jesus because of the way we're relating to each other. In our culture that says, you stay over there because you're different, and you stay over there because you're different, Jesus says, no, get together because you need each other. And together you're going to grow, and together you are going to shine a beautiful light in a world that's like, let's just choose to divide. And God's like, no, let's not do that. Together, to display the gospel. It says we display the gospel when we gather each week to serve people who sometimes share only one thing in common with us, Jesus. We share that in common. We show we are reconciled in Christ when we commit to love those people In that place, no matter what their faults and foibles they may have. Again, we enter into the relationship and we're like, I'm in. 
I've said this, like, in church life, it's going to be tough. Think about your own family. Sometimes you're like, I don't know what's up with these people. But you can't just walk out the door. And we commit, even in the faults, even in, in the things that confuse us. We say, I am in, and it displays to the world that is watching the beauty of the gospel. We get this opportunity to show the world that people who are utterly different in some ways can live in harmony with one another. Let's not waste the opportunity. So pride makes us think some people are beneath us. It also makes us think that we know best. That's why there's the command, never be wise in your own sight. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, you know, my life is uh, this way right now. I'm struggling this way. I, I, I did this. I, I made this decision. And I say to them, who'd you talk to? No one. You didn't talk to the saints. In the abundance of counselors, the word says there's wisdom. You didn't pray and ask God for wisdom. You just did it. You were convinced that you knew what was best and you talked to no one. So you should not be surprised now that you're struggling. But because you're in the family and we love you, there was a nice rebuke. Now we're going to help you. That took a while to sink in. A couple people in the back got it though. We need to talk to each other. When we make when we trust ourselves, when we're wise in our own sight, we make poor decisions that hurt ourselves and hurt other people. Prideful living never ends well. And God says to humble ourselves. And so God, again, wants us to love each other genuinely because we are family. Now, I just told you a whole bunch of stuff that we have to do. The, the scripture is very clear on what the commands are. Now you should be saying, how do you do it? How do I, because I just, I mean, there's a lot that just got loaded there, right? So you should be saying, how do I live this life? How do I live like this? I mean, there's so many things to do. Where does the power come from to love like this? Well, the power to love like this comes from the genuine love we have experienced in our own life. You're like, where? Well, Paul actually talks about this in Romans 5. He says, for while we were still weak, so backwards. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly love. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All love flows from this genuine act of love towards us. And so when you're looking at the family members and you're like, this is hard, remember that love. That is where the power comes from to do it, to love this way. See, God wants us to love each other genuinely because we're family, but we're only family because of the gospel. We're only family because Jesus willingly went to the cross and gave his life so that we could be welcomed into the family of God, so that we could stand and sit here in these moments and know that we always have hope, that there's never a moment that we can have despair because we're going to glory, as my grandma would say. And when it's hard to love, we go back to the well of the gospel that never runs dry to find the power and the strength to love 
people who sometimes it's hard. But this is what God has called us to. And when we do it, when we do it, there's harmony and there's a beauty that the world cannot ignore. Because they look and they say, why are those people together? Why are those people sticking it out like that? We live in a culture that as soon as things get tough, people abandon each other. And the church gets this beautiful opportunity in a time where there's so much divide to, to display the gospel, to live a life of harmony and to say to the watching world, this is the way to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your grace to us. And God, we thank you that we can laugh together as we sit under the word, but also have our souls and our hearts nourished by your word. And God, we thank you that your word comes to us. But it's something that you have also given us the power to walk in because the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is alive in our hearts. Please show us what exactly from this word for each individual you're calling us to do. And I pray that you would give us the power, the strength, the belief to walk in it. To believe that as we do the things that you call for, Lord, that good things come and that others are blessed through it and that you are glorified in it. Thank you for the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you that our gospel reality is unchanging, even if the times are always changing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.